0: Hi, this is podcast, The Best Bits of breakfasts for the week ending May 8. Breakfasts is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you will hear us talking to Simon Hinckley, or Bugman, uh, about the bee waggle dance, bees that waggle, also the get drunk. And uh, Russell Holmesby about his book, The Death of the Fitzroy Football Club.
1: Uh, also, uh, we did a quiz, a personality quiz. What ISO activity are you? Uh, We talked about food that we've been cooking and eating during the week uh, and also Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. Uh,
2: we also chatted to Lindell Wilkinson about a new online show called Mint Condition, uh, set in a record store in Fitzroy that's available to check out. Uh, we had a look out our window and told what we saw, and <laughs> <laughs> which is much more entertaining than it sounds, I promise. And uh, we also spoke to Nadia uh, Tichenko from Museum Victoria about all the stuff that's online now during the pandemic. As parents and teachers across Victoria adjust to a new way of learning the school term, Museums Victoria has launched a digital education program on its new online portal, Museum at Home. And to tell us about it, we're joined from home by Museum Victoria Education Manager, Nadia Tychenko. Welcome to Breakfasters.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be on this morning. So uh, like all cultural organisations across Melbourne, uh, Museums of Victoria Venues, which are Melbourne Museum, Science Works and Immigration Museum, are not open for on-site visitors or for school excursions. So we're not welcoming students on-site, but We thought we'd bring the museum programs into people's homes. So our um, education and public programs team have developed Museum at Home Learning and Play so, uh, we, the education team reached out to teachers over the Easter break to listen to how we could support their remote learning and teaching. Um, and we had over 170 responses to a survey we sent out. And so, we've incorporated their feedback into what we've created. And Museum at Home Learning provides an opportunity for teachers and students to stay connected uh, to our education programs. We would be welcoming... Term two would be one of our busiest terms at... Um, the museum. Uh, but so we've created uh, weekly themes. and each week there's activities. And at the end of the week, there's a q and a with one of our museum experts, and students can write in and ask an expert a question on the topic of the week. So, this week's theme is actually dinosaurs and fossils. So if anyone has any burning questions out there about dinosaurs and fossils, you could get online and ask them through um, our web form. And at the end of the week, our collection manager of vertebrate paleontology will be answering them. And um, and our play stream also provides an opportunity for families to participate in fun play-based learning activities. Um, we've got lots of great activities on there exploring Static electricity, how to make a lizard and meet a lizard. Um, my personal favourite is, so yeah, we can meet a lizard and try and make your own one, get crafty. There's lots of great craft activities. Um, my personal favourite is a bubble making activity, and this one shares the best bubble juice recipe in the world. Um, I believe this recipe is actually a trade secret in science centres globally, but we've had to pull out the big guns. So we're going <laughs> to, we've shared it because in this time, you yeah, people, know, people need something to entertain them. So, um, and I could share the recipe with you if you'd like, because this one's fun, not just Let for me kids. get a pen.
1: <laughs>
3: All right. I'm ready. Are you ready? Do you want to hear yep. the bubble juice recipe? Sure. So, it's a thousand mils of warm water, 50 mils of fairy detergent, um, not lemon. There's a scientific reason for that. There's a debate on the ScienceWorks Facebook page about this. But uh, a half a teaspoon of guaga, isopropyl alcohol and one teaspoon of uh, baking powder. So that's a pretty awesome recipe there that will uh, keep you entertained for hours with bubble making. (laughs) But um, we have different uh, themes each week for our learning stream. So, we've had forests and secrets. So, you can take a virtual tour of our forest gallery. And um, we've got virtual tours of a lot of our exhibitions. Uh, we've had last week, Migration History and Identity Week, which we explored the stories of um, migration to Victoria. And as an opportunity for people to look at their own family immigration story as well, uh, we're exploring... Our, Some of our most popular topics, really, in the museum. So uh, we've got a week coming up. Well, this week is dinosaurs. But next week, we've got STEM and innovation, backyard bugs. We explore um, Victoria's First People's culture and language. Um, We have a week where we explore space and astronomy. So there's lots of uh, great content and themes and activities um, to help support teachers and the teachers a shout out to all the teachers because they're just doing an amazing job adapting in this time it's been it's been pretty amazing and I know I'm at home uh working and homeschooling um my kids I've got three kids I've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and and the um school has been amazing and the teachers have wow. been amazing yeah and
2: and you've you've got uh, some IMAX offerings as well
3: Yeah, that's right. So we've got um, IMAX documentaries available online. And, in fact, we've got Dinosaurs Alive on at the moment this week, which is a 45-minute documentary, which is available as part of the um, resources online. Uh, And we're going to be having more of those IMAX documentaries available on the learning website. So that's a great one to pop the kids in front of if you need (laughs) 45 minutes to quickly... (laughs) do something um and another exciting uh, at the end of the term at the end of this term the last three weeks we've got a multi-week project learning project called museum of staying home so during the last weeks of term we'll be sharing um resources and we're inviting teachers and students in victoria to document their staying at home experience by creating their own simple exhibits at home so um With guidance and resources, we'll be encouraging students to reflect on their experience and they'll learn how to create their own exhibits based on their personal experience, how to write a text label and use objects in creative ways. So um, week one, we'll be looking at like reflecting and researching about your story or your your family story during this time and and then like a mini curation of your own collection from what's, what's been important or special to you in this or, or um, is representative of your experience in this lockdown life in Victoria so um, so this opportunity for students objects photos or ephemera to come into a mini collection and then the third week they'll the idea is that they share back their mini exhibition that they've created to the museum, and there's an opportunity there for um, some of those stories or objects to go into our collection because we are obviously collecting during this period. Um, I guess I have a question for you. What would you? <laughs> what would help tell your story during this period, this lockdown life period? I know my I've uh, would. If I had to curate a collection of objects, I'd probably have my UGG boots in there, worn every day while working from home. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe my bread maker, my bike, and then and then letters and cards from families or friends or images. Is there anything of significance? Any objects of significance that really That'd speak be, um... to this period? I'd be very
1: happy to donate the two giant huntsmen that are living in in one of our bathrooms. I'd be happy (laughs) for someone to come and collect them. No problem.
2: Um, I, I would like a wall, maybe with just uh, Sarah's daily rubber gloves, and then
0: each, <laughs> each each daily show underneath that, just as an audio. I was gonna nom- I was gonna nominate the rubber gloves that I wear every day at work at the moment. Um, if anyone wants them, they could they could go into a collection. I'm sure.
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that there will be some yeah rubber gloves or. Personal protective wear is part collected. From the, so, um, can from can I experience. ask you?
2: So you're aligned with the curriculum. Um, how yeah. how do you recommend if if anyone's listening and is interested, how do they implement incorporating what's available via the museum into their school day or? or yeah, day off?
0: sure.
3: Yeah, sure. So it's not like um, we have teachers using it. So well who are providing resources to students but families can get online and use these resources as well it's there to support families and at home learning and uh, links to um, science humanities curriculum history STEM the, the, because the ac- the activities are quite broad it links to um, all curriculum areas so in terms of I guess structuring your day like I mean talking from my personal experience we tend to do uh a few hours in the morning which is good and then the afternoon we tend to explore different topic areas and that's that's sort of how we're structuring our learning um yeah
2: one thing I love is the the uh the models you've got a model the models that are you know because we can't go to the museum and see the models so uh sort of an insight into how to make them
3: Uh, Oh yes, uh, that model.
2: Sorry. No, no, no. It's 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 there's there's too much to go into. But yeah, Yeah. just being able to see you know baskets the size of fingernails and stuff like that, um, and everything that goes into all the Melbourne museums. Look, it's the week one of Museum at Home learning and Museum at Home play is now live. Uh, and you can go to museumsvictoria.com.au for more information. And uh, we've been speaking with Education Manager at Museums Victoria, Victoria, Nadia Tichenko. Thank you so very much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Russell Holmesby is a journalist and historian who's covered footy for more than 40 years. He was a long-time editor of Inside Football, official historian of St Kilda Football Club and co-author of the Encyclopedia of AFL Footballers. His new book, The Death of Fitzroy Football Club, covers a key moment in the game's history when one of the founding clubs of the VFL merged in 1996 with the Brisbane Bears. And to tell us about it, Russell joins us on the line now. Welcome to Breakfasters.
4: Great to be here.
2: What was lost by the demise of Fitzroy Football Club? What was it about its history and culture that made it so special?
4: Oh, look, uh, yeah, Fitzroy was, was one of the founding members of the league uh, back in 1897. Uh, and actually, in, in, in the first decade of uh, of the VFL, as it was then, Fitzroy uh, won four premierships and were runner-up three times, which was amazing, an amazing effort in 10 years. And uh, they were the power club you know, in the, in the initial stages. So they had a rich history and uh, they had just an amazing following, uh, just dedicated people and, and just great spirit about the club.
2: Mm. And I saw that it was recently the 50th anniversary playing in front of the Queen.
4: That's right, yeah, they uh, they played uh, and that was a Sunday game and uh, that was the first uh, game of Sunday football. But of course, uh, you know, it was, uh, they had to pass legislation, but of course because it was the Queen visiting, they uh, just uh, went through with that and uh, they played that first game against Richmond at the MCG. You mentioned the, the
0: spirit of the club, which became kind of later known for, I guess, its, it's failures in the 80s and 90s. Um, when we talk about clubs, we talk about, you know, North Melbourne and the Bonus spirit and the blood spirit in Sydney. What do you think um, summed up the spirit of the Fitzroy Football Club?
4: Well, just the the fact that they had everything stacked against them, particularly in the last sort of, uh, you know, 10 years uh, up to 96, uh, they just kept on going and they just, they would not knuckle under. And uh, in incredibly tough uh, sort of circumstances, uh yeah, you know, the AFL in the end just blocked off so many avenues that they tried to uh, to explore Fitzroy, and uh, and they just channeled them down the route that they wanted them to go. And uh, but they they fought just just endlessly to just keep alive and to keep their football club alive. And uh, I suppose uh, you know, like volunteers in those days, uh, that was the large thing that kept clubs going. And uh, Of course, we're going to see now in the uh, post-virus environment uh, that clubs are going to rely on volunteers again.
2: Mm. Um, Merging was never far from the surface in 1996. Uh, Ross Oakley in the book comments on how Footscray dealt with that threat for that club and, and, you know, compares it to Fitzroy. Can you shed any light on that?
4: Well, of course, uh, Footscray, uh, like it was, I mean, there's always a stronger partner in a merger, isn't there? And uh, in that merger at that stage, um, it was Fitzroy were going to be the stronger partner and uh, Footscray was the one who, you know, was being thrown the lifeline. But uh, as we saw, uh, it was people power in the end that uh, that Footscray survived and Fitzroy walked away from that. Uh, Leon Weigar, the president, he said that uh, they they came away from that and in a lot of people's minds that they'd been the predator trying to take over Footscray and um, you know, and the merger, it, it, it obviously it fell flat. It didn't, didn't come off. But the strange thing with the AFL was that uh, despite, um, despite that experience, they persisted with the idea of mergers and even after you know Fitzroy was merged or taken over by Brisbane, Uh, They still tried to sort of get the Melbourne-Hawthorne merger going, which, of course, didn't happen. And Hawthorne, as we know, after that went on and won uh, heaps more premierships. But uh, uh, that that merger concept was just something they were pushing so hard. But uh, mergers... You know, they, they just didn't work and they, they it just was uh, something where a, a club was just taken over. In Fitzroy's case, that was what happened. You mm. mentioned
0: in the book that the AFL attribute a lot of their current financial success, the kind of boom that came in the 2000s to the, this merger, uh, 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 among some other things, but this is kind of seen as this big this big moment, them merging with uh, Brisbane. Do you get the sense now that the AFL regret in any way the decisions that they made in the nineties or do they or do they stand by this?
4: I don't think that the people involved at the time uh regret it now, looking back. But I think that the AFL today realises that if if a club falls by the wayside, as Fitzroy did, it, it just damages the fabric of the game. And that's why we see Gillan McLaughlin saying, look, we're committed to Having 18 teams in it, and the other thing, and I, and I know that uh, Ross Oakley is uh, he is the, the devil incarnate as far as uh, Fitzroy fans, and and, you, and I totally understand that. But but he did point out that in those days the AFL didn't have the cash reserves. That they do today, and that, because this was before all the uh, the huge TV deals and the multi million dollar deals. So, uh, they, and they, and he just said, "Look, we couldn't, but we couldn't bail them out if we wanted to. But I, I don't think they wanted to. I don't think there was the intent there to do that."
2: You're right that the demise of the football club caused splits in families. How so?
4: Well, we end up with uh, one of the last uh, comments I uh, had in the book was, uh, I was talking to one of the one of the and he and I said, "Look, did uh, I said did you sort of go with Brisbane after that?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "I did." You know, I followed him, uh, you know, through the premierships and that that they won in the early two thousands. Uh, he said, "But my son, he never took it up. He, he just nah, he turned his back on him. And a lot of people at the time, you know, they uh, and it, you know, people just became disenchanted with the AFL's attitude. Of letting that happen to Fitzroy and doing what they did to Fitzroy and just letting them just uh, just be absorbed into Brisbane as it was.
0: I can't, ima- I can't imagine losing my football team. Like it seems like one of the worst things that could happen to me, which seems kind of dramatic. But
4: <laughs> I did you <laughs> well, you know did you? No, I, I totally agree with that, and I, and uh, I think until you if you face it, I mean it. People blithely say, and you get people, you know, Collingwood or Essendon or Richmond Barriers even, not so much Richmond Barriers because they, they face their problems, but people blithely say, oh, well, look, they, you know, that, that particular club, you know, they're broken, they're struggling and, and whatever. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a big thing to a lot of people and it really it does hurt. And it's, uh, I, I mean, I've seen it, I'm a St Kilda fan, actually, and, and I've seen St Kilda sail pretty close to the wind. And, of course, at the moment... Here we are talking about uh, you know St Kilda's got a lot of a lot of debt and um, and they're one of the clubs that's under pressure. I mean, uh, so it, it is something that that really cuts deep, and I don't think until you've really faced that or come close to it with your club, you don't really understand.
2: Where can we see the legacy of the Fitzroy Football Club, and how would you like to see it improved?
4: The legacy of the Fitzroy Footy Club, well, um, it's been it's been interesting that a lot of um, Fitzroy people or players uh, had, you know, have subsequently gone on to coach um, and or to be, uh, you know, in charge of clubs, CEOs, uh, people like uh, Paul Ruse, obviously Gary Pert, Ross Lyon. Uh, these sort of guys have gone on to have a, a, a big influence in football, <laughs> even to this day. So, uh, you know, that's one thing. But I mean, I, I just think that the Fitzroy, there's lessons to be learned from from this book. Uh, and one of uh, the footy journos around town, Greg Bourne, I told him he was doing the book, and he said, uh, he said, it sounds like it could be a manual for how not to treat a financially struggling club. And, uh, you know, it's not written as a manual, but, I mean, it could serve that purpose because because the way they were treated and the way that all avenues were blocked off to them and the way they were sort of directed down the AFL way, uh, it, it was just wrong. And uh, just uh, that, and that's the thing that people should uh, sort of learn the lessons of those days.
1: What were, what were some of the avenues that were that were blocked?
4: Well, for example, I mean, at one stage they were uh, they were talking about private ownership, you know, and uh, they had a company called Hecron who was interested in uh, in the, the private ownership. The AFL uh, blocked that. They said no, we were against private ownership. Yet a couple of years later, uh, we saw the situation with Sydney. Um, you know, going to private ownership, and that because that at that time suited the AFL. And I mean, there was, there was so many different things where they tried to do uh, promotions, or that, and even uh, they tried to move uh, games in the state. To, they had a couple of games in Canberra, they had a couple of games in Tasmania, but the AFL didn't support them in terms of publicising and, and sort of promoting. In those days, which, of course, the AFL in later days with those sort of areas they did, but with other clubs. But, uh, you know, those sort of they came up with a lot of ideas. Uh, At one stage um, in the late 70s, Fitzroy was seriously considering uh, moving the whole club to Sydney uh, as, as Fitzroy. But, uh, of course, later on, we saw the Swans come in. Uh, the AFL, uh, or the VFLs it was, they didn't didn't back Fitzroy to make that move, where well, they could have survived as an entity, even if it was to move in a state.
2: Do you ever go for a drink at the Standard and have a walk around Brunswick Street Oval?
4: Uh, yes. I, uh, it was interesting. A friend of mine, uh, he's, uh, he and I went, uh, went out there uh, one day and... Uh, uh, did a bit of a tour. It was a sunny, sunny, beautiful day. We sat in the old grandstand at Brunswick Street, and we went to a couple of the pubs. And yeah, uh, you know, some of the clubs, the pubs around there have got some great uh, pictures. There's one that's got um, uh, a sign Fitzroy Football grant that used to be on the uh, on the brick wall out, outside the Brunswick Street Oval. Um, so, yeah, and, and you can really feel some of that atmosphere. And, of course, the Fitzroy Reds play there at uh, Brunswick Street these days, and that's that uh, carries on the name at least, even if it's not at the uh, AFL level.
2: Mm. Well, 25 years ago it all took place, and the, the death of Fitzroy Football Club, the story of Fitzroy's demise in the words of the men and women who'd lost their club, is out now through Hardy Grant. We've been speaking with its author, Russell Holmesby. Thanks so much,
4: Russell. Thanks for that. That's been good fun. No worries. Cheers.
1: Triple R. Here's a fun thing for us to do. I thought it might be um, a good idea if we did a did a quiz. Oh, cool! Yeah, I wrote a quiz. A dolly quiz. Um, yeah, very similar. <laughs> it's um, it's to find out, like, yeah, it's a personality quiz to find out um, what um, what ISO activity are you? Um, oh, this is like finding out which member of a boy band you date. Which yeah, it's, well I, that's where I got all the questions from. <laughs> um, like I went to Dolly. No. Nah. So um now the the um there's only a few questions so um, don't don't think too hard about it. Um if you listen you absolutely play along at home. Um, but here we go. What ISO activity are you? First of all, hang on a second. Just um do some <laughs> Okay, question number one. <laughs> what is your favourite Olympic event? Is it A. Darts? Don't know if that's the, in the Olympics, but who wrote this? Who cares? Um, B. Basketball. C. Gymnastics or D. Walking. So you've got A. Darts, B. Basketball, C. Gymnastic or D. Walking. Make sure you um, you tell me your answer. Um, mm-hmm. I'm
0: going to go with C. Gymnastics. Okay. Uh, B for basketball.
1: Great. Great. And uh, question number two, how would your best friend describe you? Is it A, needy, B, normal, C, blossoming, or D, loyal?
0: You can go first on that one, Daniel. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Oh, I'm not quite sure what
2: blossoming would mean. Um, Maybe... No, you're coming out of your shell,
1: and oh, okay, just... we'll
2: go, we'll go loyal.
1: Okay, so that's D, and Sarah.
0: Um, blossoming does sound like it could be from a Dolly quiz. Uh, I might just play it safe and go with loyal as well.
1: Okay, All right. Well, finding out some personality traits here. Uh, <laughs> um, question number three. What's number your favorite? Three. Yeah, yeah. Question yeah. number three. Okay. Question three. What's your favourite show? Is it A, MasterChef, B, all of them, C, Gardening Australia, or D, you don't watch TV? Okay. Do you
2: want them uh, again? No, the options are MasterChef or all of the shows.
1: Yeah, all of the shows. Yeah.
2: I've yeah, yeah. um, been watching a fair bit of Gardening Australia, so okay. lock that in.
1: Funnily so enough. Daniel- C.
0: The yep. two things I've been watching are Gardening Australia and MasterChef, but at the moment MasterChef probably more consistently. So okay. let's go this season of MasterChef.
1: A. Rightio. And last one, uh what's your favourite food type? Is it A, carbs, B, snacks, C, plant-based or D, ice cream? Oh. You can only choose one. What was B? Snacks. Hmm.
0: I'm going to go with B snacks.
1: Okay.
2: Mm. Um, I guess, you know, it depends on how the carbs are packaged, but, uh, you know, carbs.
1: Oh, great. Terrific. Now, <laughs> I've got the results, um, and both of you are all of them. You're all the um, ISO activities, so because <clears throat> you like it, there isn't any. Like I'm sure if I had more questions, we could have come up with mostly this. But you went A. You had you know it was an even distribution. Yeah. So um, if you got mostly A's for the people playing at home, that means your um, ISO activity um, is bred. So you're the type of person that sits around a lot doing nothing and when people see you, they can't believe how much you've grown. Um, at certain times, uh, you realise you have a real need to watch the news and that beats you around for a bit, but you go back to sitting around and when it gets warm, you rise up and have a tan. <laughs> Good. Uh, and then um, if you've got mostly bees, that means you're the latest series um, to stream. So um, you're the entertainer in the house, like one by one your housemates tell you, tell each other they need to watch you play with your cat. Um, They all like talking about you and giving theories about you, except for one housemate who doesn't think you're that great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then uh, if you got uh, mostly C's, that means you're gardening. Uh, so at the start of ISO, you stayed buried under your doona. Then when you popped out, everyone was amazed because they thought you hadn't been drinking enough water. Um, <laughs> now you're climbing up the walls and everyone wants you in the background of their Zoom meeting and you get lots of free haircuts. Um, and and finally, if you've got mostly Ds, that your ISO um, activity is walking. And um, aren't you the social butterfly? You don't care where you go. You're just happy to be out of the house. 10,000 used to be your favorite number, but now it's 1.5. Definitely <laughs> a dog person. Are you a D? Yeah, I'm a D. <laughs> I'm a D, for sure. And you guys are like equal distribution of all four of them.
0: I think does that make so, us boring or awesome? Well-rounded. 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 Loyal and well-rounded. That
2: when you yeah. said A, you said ha- ha- did you say have a tan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you get a Like the like crust your, on the bread. Yeah. Oh right. Oh god, well I'm sure as hell not A then. Everybody didn't know what that was.
1: Yeah, you your bread 'cause you you rise up Yes like, every morning
0: yeah. at five AM.
1: Yeah, you, yeah you know, but it you, it's warm outside, that means you're getting in the oven, mm. rising up with a tan. Soft anyway. and squishy, as Michael Harden would say. Yeah. Um, thanks for playing.
5: Melbourne's own Triple R.
1: Time to talk about one of our um, our favourite subjects. Um, a lot of people love talking about it as well, and that's the subject of food and cooking. <laughs> what have you been cooking this week? What have you been eating? Have you been cooking or have you been enjoying some delicious things that have been delivered from your local restaurant? Um, to tell us more, <laughs> here are the breakfast. <laughs> you sounded
0: like um, was it who was on Bert Newton, Moira? Who was on the cooking segment? Yeah, 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 Moira. Yeah, you'll get a job on studio 10 in no time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean five more years and I'll um, reach the age that you're allowed to work. On. Um.
2: Um, well, I've I've been uh, so everybody in this house has been tested now. I got my results back. I'm negative. Well, and so, thanks very much. So, uh, I, but it's such a weird, anyway, it's, it would be a weird thing to celebrate because I'd be negative for everything. I could get tested for everything and be negative and yeah. celebrate the rest of my life. Anyway, uh, came back, uh, I'm in a house, everyone's tested negative, had dinner, and um, it was a, this is last night, I've arrived on the peninsula, it was a, uh, seafood, uh, marinara spaghetti, and well, seafood marinara is a tautology. And, uh, and, it, but at the end of the meal, you're encouraged to rate it out of 10. What?
1: <gasps> like, it's a, a family activity. It's
2: a family activity. Pub- publicly? Yeah. Publicly? Not like yeah, put it in a hat? public. Oh. No, it's public. And so, and it, there's a shorthand. So it's like out of 10. And, um, <laughs> someone will answer first. <laughs> and, and, and it was, they said eight. And so I, I said, uh, and uh, you know, I genuinely enjoyed it, but I said eight point five, and then was rubbished because it was oh. like, well, yeah, it was like, why, why not, why not bigger? And I'm like, well, you know, you got to have space. Like, I'm still working out this family's metric for what's no, no
1: half scores.
2: <laughs> no, I think I think no half scores, but also it's like you got to go if you're going to go to Attica, you need some wiggle room for tens.
1: Yes,
0: I agree. Exactly. Eight and a half Uh, for a a spaghetti marinara is very close to a ten, which I think would be the feast at Attica. So
2: yeah, and I and then I said, like, by way of comparison, if I did it, it would be a two. And they're like, yeah, we know. (laughs) So, uh, but then because it was such a market improvement from earlier in the day when I had microwave chips,
0: uh, which
2: you shouldn't do anyway. But I. And I left the uh, wrapper in, uh, like that they came in, and I nearly uh, burnt the house down putting <laughs> paper in the microwave.
0: What do you mean you left them in the wrap? What wrapper did they come in?
2: Just a, like a like a tray, like a a cardboard tray.
1: Oh my god! Oh, oh yeah. Oh and like, was I being good? lazy? Cardboard the, trays? No, no. The, those chips that you put in the microwave, like, are they? How do they How are they crunchy? What's, I just they, they're
2: not. They're, clearly crap they're like they're like cardboard that's been sort of you know put through a a cheese grater but but i was just i just needed like some sustenance just to do the next thing i had to do look am i proud of this no it was an absolute low light and imagine
1: burning down the house you're you're proud about the food that you're
2: (laughs) And then during during the show yesterday I nearly set off the smoke alarm with raisin
0: toast anyway, Oh my whatever. god. Hey, are, I'm you done. Meant, are you meant to keep the bit of cardboard in or was that a misstep?
2: No, I I did cuz I'm like I wasn't going to put in there for very long. Uh-huh. But it was when I, I was like what's smelling and I took
0: it out and I'd singed it. Oh my god. <laughs> My biggest regret was always coming home drunk when I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, if dad had had fish and chips and finding cold chips on top of the stove and then going, I'm just going to chuck these in the microwave with some sauce, thinking that yeah. reheating fish and chips was a good idea when I was drunk. And it never yeah. was, but I could never stop myself from doing it in that moment. Oh, mm. microwave And who's chips. got the patience to put them back in the oven?
1: No. I mean, sometimes you do. But yeah, please. I'd make peanut butter and honey sandwiches when I got home, drunk from the pub. Oh, that's so lovely
0: and childlike.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a nice
0: ritual. Yeah. 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 But... Uh, I, I, I don't have anything really. Um, I think no, that, you
1: had a lasagna, well, you said. Well,
0: I did. Not last night. Well, okay, so last night I had Andrew made Rissoles and it was like a scene from the castle. I couldn't decide what I wanted for dinner and he just came home with the ingredients for Rissoles and I couldn't have been – more excited, Like he almost asked me if I'd cheated on him or something because he's like, oh, I don't understand why you're responding to Rissoles in this way. But you know when someone just nails what you feel like without you even knowing yes. it? So we had yep. Rissoles and mashed potato for dinner. It was a very castle Yum, um, meal, but it was so good. good. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. And um, like last week I had – well, our oven isn't working at the moment, but we've actually got a lasagna in the freezer waiting. And I had – I've only just come back to lasagna after – 20 years. So I had a lasagna for the first time in 20 years. So in a not like, so when my mum was quite, my mum passed away when we were quite young and when she was sick, the community rallied together, which is a really lovely thing to make our family meals when she was sick. Every night we had a very big family and um, being the mid nineties and people kind of lacking ideas for how to feed a big family there was lots of there was a few tuna mornays but there was mostly really bad lasagna and obviously w- it was such a beautiful thing. We were never going to say no to people dropping off lasagnas at our door, but it got to the point where we were getting about two lasagnas a day and we had a deep freezer stacked full of lasagnas. Uh, and it was terrifying answering the door and seeing another person, this beautiful person with a smile on their face going, oh, here's a lasagna to feed the family. And we'd be like, oh, thank you so much. And then it would go, the, go in the deep freezer and we're like, oh, God, we're eating baked beans for dinner again. And uh, it was so – we got so many lasagnas in that period – uh, that by the time I moved out of home in my early 20s, there were still two frozen lasagnas oh. <laughs> at the bottom of the deep freezer. Wow. Not a lie. So I just was really scarred from, from lasagna, yeah. from over lasagna. <laughs> Bet. Um, and so and, and so so I kind of avoided that, avo- just avoided it for years. Just wasn't mm. – I saw them and I was like, they smell delicious. I really want to get in on it. And uh, just recently bit the bullet. And it was – it was good. It was also a really well-made lasagna as well, and I don't regret yeah. it. Like, no, I think I'm back. It just took oh, two decades to recover. That's great
1: news. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, I can't remember. I haven't had a lasagna for ages either. I never cook them anyway. I never, can, I just, can, yeah. can I
2: just say, um, on Attica, the, I think they're doing lasagnas, takeaway. Are
1: they? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> what a time uh, to come back.
2: And there was someone in um, – there was someone in – uh, Jesse's parents group, or you know, who was saying that they'd done this. It's a very bourgeois uh, mothers group, and and they were uh, they were saying, "Oh, have you ordered from Chin Chin or all these restaurants that you know, very inner Melbourne?" And um, someone said, "Yeah, I got lasagnas. I couldn't taste anything." And they were criticizing all lasagnas. And I was like, oh my God, that's a symptom of corona. Yes.
6: Oh.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, if you can't taste a lasagna, I mean, that's a concern. <laughs>
2: I'm
0: like, that's as good as a positive result. Uh, my um, the, bu- the bougie corona test.
1: That's. <laughs> um Cas's brother and um his wife got Attica for dinner because um, it was um our sister in law's sister in law's um birthday so they had they ordered that um attica to be delivered um and then like Cas's parents had got online and they were disappointed to find that they're just out of, outside of the <laughs>
0: the delivery deliveries. Oh, no! And so
1: they're like well Everyone's been complaining and whinging about being outside of the delivery zone of Attica. And then, then Sarah's just got back online and goes, you know you can just go and pick it up. Like that's an option as well. So anyway, well, that's Levels outside?
0: of privilege in the coronavirus, whether or not you're sat in the Attica delivery zone.
3: Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app.
2: It's our time for feature Creatures, and let's check in with Bugman. Hi, Simon. Morning. Good, thank really you. Uh, what, uh, what's, what have you been looking at outside?
5: Well, I thought we would look at all things amazing about the humble honeybee, which is one of the insects that you can still see uh, around at the moment as you you go for your walks and that sort of thing. Um, And it's, it's one of the really amazing industrious insects in the context of it's very social and cooperative. So when we're talking about bees... In this context we're talking about the um european honeybee so it's not native to australia it's uh, come from as the name implies parts of europe the middle east and africa and it was brought across by european settlers in those days they wanted to make things look like home and obviously get the taste of home uh it's now established in every continent except antarctica and it's incredibly industrious so for example to make uh, about 500 mils of honey the bees need to visit 2 to 3 million flowers and fly about 50,000 miles. So it's a very labour-intensive process. Um, The worker bees only live probably about five, six, seven weeks, and they work continually until the end and... To to produce this amazing resource and one of the reasons why they're so successful is that level of cooperation and a part of that is what's called the waggle dance or waggle dance if you say castle castle um so the waggle dance is basically a way of the worker bees conveying information back to the hive about a resource that they found and when we say the worker bees any bee that you – generally when you see bees foraging on the flowers, they're all females. So the male bees, the drones, they have a good or a bad life, depending on if they get their timing right. So the, the male drones stay in the hive. They don't go foraging. They're like, I'm hungry, feed me, and they're fed. So it's a pretty good time. And their role is to leave the hive and mate with virgin queens from other colonies. If they get to do that, they're dead. Great. They get they got to get fed and reproduce, and they're done. If they don't get the timing right, and say it's autumn, they're running out of food. The worker bees say get out. They're kicked out. They don't know how to forage themselves, and they just all die around the hive. So it can be a very indulgent life. It can be a brutal, unpleasant end to the life <laughs> for the male bees. Um, so the the female workers, when they find a the, uh, great food resource, they come back to the hive. And they don't lay a chemical trail, like, for example, ants. So they want to convey the information and they do it via the form of dance. And so what they do is they'll dance in a circle and they'll waggle the abdomen and then they'll dance, they'll do another circle in the opposite direction, so they're making figures of eight, and they waggle their abdomen and the amount the, the amount of time they spend waggling the abdomen says to the other workers it's this far. So short waggle means close. Longer waggle means it's further away. And the angle that they dance tells their workers where the flower is in relation to the angle from the sun. So it's this amazing ability that they have to, without words or written language or anything, say to their workers, you need to go four kilometres at 45 degrees and you'll find this amazing flower resource, which is a really incredible adaptation that they've come up with. It's not always... There's been some research that suggests... In temperate climates like Melbourne, it may not be that helpful. So, for example, if a female spends four minutes doing the waggle dance using all that energy to say there's a great bottle brush four kilometres away, but the workers could have left the hive and gardens are full of flowering plants five metres away, it may the payoff may not be there. But certainly if times were tough or you're in a different type of environment, that waggle dance can be a really powerful way to convey where the food resources are. So incredibly clever. So, it's is it cute? It is cute. Yes. <laughs> if Daniel. you Google. Um, <laughs> do you have a soul? It's very cute. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to learn Google, from humans. <laughs> um, well, it, actually, that's a, it is actually a good question because, I mean, there are a lot of humans who dance and it's not cute. But um, the, the Bee Waggle <laughs> Dance, it is cute. If you Google Waggle Dance David Attenborough, there's like a two minute 50 video, his lovely tones talking you through how it's done, and you get to see the females um, do their little dance. So it's it's worth doing. It's actually quite a, a, reg, a regimented society. So, for example, um, bees can get drunk. So in summer, uh, if it's hot, the nectar in the flowers can ferment. And so when the bees drink that, they can get drunk. So they can fly into things. They can have trouble getting back to the hive. And when they do get back to the hive, if they're drunk, the guard workers don't let them in.
4: Get out. The last thing no. you need in the
5: hive is drunk workers staggering around, you know, tainting the nectar and the honey and that sort of thing. So... Even though they don't deliberately get drunk, um, if they come back the worse for wear, they're told, "Nah, you need to go off sober up, and then you know we'll we'll discuss it again." So it's a very regimented society.
1: Is there a, a particular um, type of music or soundtrack that you could play whilst watching bees do their dance that you know is most fitting?
5: It would have to be a little bit frenetic because they really waggle the abdomen pretty fast. So maybe some maybe some chemical brothers or something like that. Something okay. that's really just, quite sort of rapid and I just think yeah. I just think
0: anything that you can twerk to, because all I'm imagining is like <laughs> tiny little bees twerking <laughs> like mad.
5: Oh, I wish you hadn't said twerk because I just got that visual of do you remember the time Clive Palmer twerked? No.
0: Uh, Why uh, would oh, you sorry. take us from waggle bees to Clive Palmer twerking? <laughs>
5: That's your fault because you brought up twerking and just, the only one I think of is Miley Cyrus and Clive Palmer. Just in case you're wondering, Daniel, Clive Palmer twerking is
0: not cute. <laughs> don't, 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 don't Google it.
2: I'm learning so much. Um, and can I just ask, because you, you said they travel, do you say five, 50 or 500,000 miles?
5: Uh, to make about uh, half a litre of honey, the bees will travel the equivalent of about 50,000 miles. So what's 50, that, about 80,000 kilometres.
2: yeah. I mean, is that why do they have to travel so far?
5: Because it's the I equivalent. Guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there'll be um, so there's forty thousand bees in a hive, and the vast majority of those are out every day visiting um, hundreds of flowers each. So when you add up all those little short flights, you get the that sort of equivalent of of a of a huge distance. Um, the, it's actually very. The, the workers, they sort of go through them fairly quickly. So the queen is laying 1,500 eggs a day. So the workers, you know, they they die pretty quickly, but she's replacing them very quickly. And the other amazing thing that the, the honeybees do is the swarm. So when, especially in spring or summer, when the hive is full of bees and conditions are really good, the existing queen will swarm. So she will leave the colony and take a very large percentage of the workers with her. That's when you sort of see them sitting on a lamppost, uh, a mailbox, someone's car, that sort of thing. What she's left behind is about 10 to 20 virgin queens uh, pupating in the hive. They all emerge. When they do, they fight to the death. You can only have one queen. So they fight till there's only one, one left. She then flies out of the colony, mates, comes back, and builds the colony up again. So it's quite a brutal thing. The best thing to do is to be the firstborn. If you emerge before the others, you seek out the other virgin queens in their cells and kill them in the cell so you don't have to go through the stress of, you know, hand-to-hand to, hand to hand combat. That doesn't sound right. But, you know, that sort of brutal sort of thing. And the queens, as opposed to the workers whose sting is barbed, we, we've talked before when a worker bee stings you, the sting is barbed and it pulls the guts out, it stays in you. When the bee flies away, it pulls its guts out the queen's sting is not barbed. So when she's fighting the other queens, she can sting repeatedly. So it's a really full-on battle. But yeah, that's another advantage of being firstborn.
0: Um, I don't know if we know the answer to this. Do bees mind when we take their
5: honey? They, if you have a well-managed hive with good resources, which the, when we take their hive, their honey, it's generally in a managed hive. So if we're not generally going out to the bush, finding a feral colony and getting climbing up into trees. So generally when we take their honey, it's in a managed hive and the hives are often moved around to make sure there's enough resources for them because if you're a beekeeper, the last thing you want to do is have your, your hive collapse and die yeah. through not yeah. enough food. So generally what they do is they take honey um, and the bees can, re, can make enough for the colony to survive. So that's why they often move, literally just pick up the box follow the flowering trees around, so there's enough resources for the hive to survive and for us to take the honey. Because it is, as, you know, those those stats show, it takes a lot to produce the honey, but when you've got a good functioning hive that doesn't have issues of pests or um, colony collapse or things like that, they're okay with it. I mean, we do smoke them, which, um, uh, when I say smoke them, they are smoked. So sort of keeps them calm. So, yeah, if you just took the top off and started digging in you'd be stung repeatedly but if you are a if you are a um had the skills it's okay and if the hive is well managed they'll be fine
2: okay and, yeah. and do we know, I know this is another question without notice, Do the, the drunk bees, are they doing it, in, is, do they get drunk incidentally by accident or yes. is it
5: right? Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a matter of, um. so if you've got a little bit of nectar and a flower and it's a 40-degree day, that sort of starts to ferment and you can get it with all sorts of animals. I think I've seen shots of... um you know, elephants lying drunk in in the fields in Sri Lanka because they've got into some fermented fruit or something. So animals all around the world. Now, whether or not some of them do it because they actually enjoy it, I don't Mm -hmm. know. But I think the bees would be just there's a good flower. Oh, now I've just hit a tree. I'm not quite sure what's going on. So it would be an incidental thing. But the guard bees back at the hive can go, you're stumbling you're not looking right you're not coming in sort of thing so they start the workers start off as um nurse they nurses then guards and then they go out and forage so it's um it's a really they, they work hard to be so yeah there is that sort of thing about you know people feeling maybe guilty that they're taking like you're saying before Sarah they work so hard and we take their honey but um I guess we benefited them in the in the context of moving them all around the world and we built we build them hives, so we look after them. We keep them clean of, of pests and stuff like that when we're doing managed hives. So I guess it's a it's a win win situation. Hopefully they don't you know get together and sort of bemoan the loss of honey after we've been through.
2: Yeah, and I guess when you go back to work at Friday night drinks, when that finally happens, you'll all the entomologists will jump on the waggle dance. That yeah. happens, <laughs> <laughs>
5: I'm sure. Oh, sorry, I was just thinking about some of the people at the museum and, and those that I don't really <laughs> want to see do the waggle dance. But yeah, um, yeah.
2: All right, Uh, Simon Hinkley, always informative. Thanks so much.
5: Thanks, everybody. Triple
1: R. There's a lot happening here at um in Venus Bay. Uh, I'm I'm sitting here um, looking out the window, and earlier when I was doing when we were doing the news, bloody kangaroos out there. Unbelievable.
0: I know because when we were doing the news, your face. It just went, <gasps> I can't even, I can't do the face because it's radio, but Jez's eyes expanded extremely widely. Your mouth opened up and you just stared out the window. And I thought it has to be a kangaroo, but I really wish it was like a naked person or something, but I knew it could only be a kangaroo. <laughs> do
1: you know, there was a brief moment where I thought, oh, maybe it's the, it's the deer. I've sighted the deer again. Um, yeah, but it was, um, there was some, yeah, there's some kangaroos out there. I was just I was looking at and I'm thinking, man, I've got kangaroos. All I need and you know, there's magpies up in the tree and there's a few Rosellas that flew past. All I need is like a um a sheep and a kookaburra on the on the on the wire. And then um I'll be on the set of a John Williamson song. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
2: You're halfway to creating your own Australian emblem.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, need some emus. Um.
2: <laughs> there's a ton of cockatoos where I am. Oh really? Yeah. And it's there's so many. And they, they eat, I think, acorns on the road. Uh, oh. and but it, there's so many. If they were rats, you would call it an infestation.
0: Well, they're controversial, aren't they, the cockatoos, the in in uh down by the beach. They're the the punks of the beach. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's why I've also – because I wanted to – because they're culling kookaburras in Tasmania, which I want to bring up with Birdman as well.
0: They're culling them?
2: Huh? Yeah, well, that's the idea. Yeah, they're a, they're a pest down there.
0: My God, wow. They were
2: introduced. Yeah, it's bizarre. Oh, uh, wow. But that's – yeah, I don't have a kangaroo right now, that's for sure. I've got my neighbour's driveway.
1: We've got – um we get lots of galahs here as well, um, and they tend to um, – they. I don't know what they're doing on... They're not on the roof, but they're on the side of the house, just above the window. Um, kind of destroying the house is what they're doing, essentially. But because of the noises that they make um, and because, you know, I've got headphones on I'm listening to us, like, it's... I can I hear this noise in the background. And yesterday, because Kath gets up... Um, and makes me a coffee about, you know, 7.30 every morning. And that's when I was hearing these noises yesterday morning. I was like, oh, this is – oh, that's Kath, you know, making making coffee. And then that that idea comes into my head. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so nice. Any, any minute now Kath's going to walk in and bring me a, a beautiful coffee and it's going to be so lovely. And then half an hour went by and there was no coffee. <laughs> And I walked there and I realised it was just a bird scratching at the side of the house and Kath was still in bed asleep and I've never been so disappointed. And I just, every time I'd hear a noise, I think, oh, no, can now Kath's getting up to make coffee? She goes, no, nah. she just had it sleeping, which is absolutely her right to do. But, gosh, it was disappointing not getting that coffee yesterday morning.
2: Yeah, oh the, it's it's there's uh, the moon last night as well because we're paying it more closer attention to our immediate surrounds. But I think it was a full moon last night. It was. Yeah, it was and it was blindingly it bright it was
0: blinding we went for a walk in it just to bathe in the moonlight uh, and it was yeah it was ext- it lit us the whole way i felt like i was in a nursery rhyme or something
1: yeah oh Ooh. yeah it was very i cool. missed it like yeah i i remembered too late And it was like 10.30 at night when I went out and went, oh, it's up in the middle of the sky now. I've ruined that. I should have gone out much earlier. It was still pretty cool cool. this
0: morning too at 5am. Are you guys doing more just staring out windows in general? I was thinking this the other day. Like I often stand at my lounge window, which stares out onto the street and just stare. And the other day I was staring really intently and then a man turned around who was walking past and stared back at me. And then I thought, this is so uncomfortable that I just dropped to my knees and crawled off. What? Well, because I just, I don't know. Oh. Just, I didn't know what to do. You know when you've, he, he stared and then I was staring Then I was like, I don't want you staring. And I was too There's far no away. no waving. no. I don't know. I think that I didn't – I think I didn't realize I was staring at someone for a while because I do a lot of just staring at the window contemplating life at the moment. And then and then he kind of came into focus and I thought, how long have we been staring at each other and I didn't realize? Anyway, so then, then- I –
1: and your option was to? Drop to my fall.
0: knees and crawl. I know, it was really dumb. It's like I don't, I'm not a good, fi- I'm not good with fight or flight. Like my response is never, it's always somewhere in between the two and it's not quite right.
2: Fight, flight or crawl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I took, I took Gabe for a drive to uh, just to settle in. We ended up, well, I drove to Point Nepean and back. Uh, which is closed, and then came back. But, uh, yeah, there's been lots of sitting in the car staring at waves crashing.
1: Oh, but that's, <laughs> that's so that's dark. That's pretty great,
0: though. <laughs> <laughs> Just you and a crying baby and the waves.
2: Well, yeah, he gets down. He, yeah, it it does settle him, and then and then I just sort of stare into the abyss. But it is it is more <laughs> so much than time in
0: the abyss. Andrew actually keeps saying that to me. He's like, "There she is again, deep in the abyss," and I was like, "God damn it!"
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's beautiful outside. Why wouldn't you want to look at it? Um, if you, all right, you're, I'm, I, it's John Williamson for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's your artist? Who's, who's coming to record a, songs in, in your yard at your window?
0: Um, who would write a song about a studio and also a courtyard full of, um, siggy butts <laughs> Ooh, uh, butt. and some dirty glasses? Who? What? Shiggy what artist with Siggy butts and dirty glasses shiggy in my courtyard? Maybe uh the Peep Temple. Maybe there's something in there. Uh, ah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Peep Temple for you. Yeah, yeah. Peep Temple. I'm gonna, I'm gonna
2: say, um, I'm gonna say James Rain because he's probably a neighbour around here anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Independent Melbourne Radio Three rrr R.
2: Lindell Wilkinson is a writer, co-producer and music supervisor on the new Australian short-form comedy-drama Mint Condition, the series about devoted single mother who opens a vinyl record store in Fitzroy, was shot in and around Melbourne late last year. And to tell us about the series, renowned PBS broadcaster and record collector Lyndell Wilkinson joins us on the line now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Oh,
6: morning, Breakfasters. How are you? <laughs> really good. <all> right?
2: <laughs> um, can you give us the lowdown on Mint Condition and how you got involved?
6: Uh, yeah, I was actually really lucky enough to have a um, neighbour of mine who is a, an avid listener to community radio um, getting in touch with me because his brother-in-law was telling him that he was really keen to start writing his own show, a show he's always wanted to write. He'd done production for a lot of big other you know networks and always doing it other people's way and he's like I've always wanted to do this record store in Melbourne and talk about you know collecting records and just the love of music and it's something I've always wanted to do and he said but I don't want to do a show where it's just all about my music taste I want to talk to somebody who's got a real range of music taste in Melbourne it can't just be my style and I said yeah I'll have a coffee with you and having a coffee with him you know on Wednesday during the day ended up becoming like a two-hour just Total in-depth conversation about the love of music, how incredible records are, stories behind, you know, certain records, certain memories, and just these great ideas just started coming out. And all of a sudden, I just found myself poring over all my old ticket stubs and telling all these great stories. And uh, next minute, elbowed my way into being a bit of a co-writer and <laughs> a little bit of co-producing. It just, I just got so into it. And it's one of those things, I think, when you're pulling together something independent, when you realise you've got all these resources you can actually call on, you just throw everything at it, you know, and it it really made me realise, you know, how many people I'm in contact with here, how much music I really have been across for the last 16 years, Um, you know, and how, how much you get an opportunity to share stories like that that actually really do connect with people. So an opportunity to donate to the writing process when you have that many stories really fleshed out this character, Audrey, who owns this record store, and just her upbringing, you know, the gigs she's been to, you know, moments in her life that have an album attached to it. Just these really lovely stories to get dotted through the script. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's but something that started as a coffee, and she you have some music ideas to, you know, maybe some of these stories are mine, and
3: mm-hmm. and just these really
6: great locations. We ended up shooting inside PBS. Just yeah, we just threw the book at it, just because we could.
0: And it was really delightful seeing um, Melbourne reflected back at us. I was just saying this to you off air. I never, I really get to see our our, our world and our scene on TV anymore, uh, increasingly less so. And um, there's a real joy in kind of, you know, spotting different artists that are involved in the show and the music that's really familiar. Uh, but I was super impressed by the cast that you've got together for this. Sibylla Bard, Bernard, Kari, Gary Sweet, Damon Richardson, among others. How did How did these actors all come on board
6: for this, Little production. That's a very good point, and it's the one area I didn't get involved in. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, these guys who, are like my neighbour G- uh, Gareth and and his company Boilermaker, they they've obviously got contacts with all those sorts of areas, and so they just threw it out to anybody and everybody who was just available at that time, because obviously he'd he'd be saving up money, and then once he had a burst of money, he'd just start throwing it. Right now, we can do this bit. Now we can do that bit. And when it got to casting um timing with people you know who isn't working on a project you know who isn't overseas or who isn't doing this or doing that sybilla had just had a baby and on set you know she's juggling breastfeeding and doing takes she was quite extraordinary but just the timing of all of those incredible actors just aligned and we got lucky we just got lucky
2: on the on the show, what, watching sort of your input on screen, is there anything in the watching of it where it's like, oh my god, that's a bit of my soul there?
1: Yes,
6: Oh, there's this, um, there's these funny little moments. That one of them was when she talks to um, Vince. Audrey talks to Vince about um, living in a in a house. And loving the bends by Radiohead so much and playing it over and over that her housemates just went, that is it, no more playing that album in the, in the house and relegated it to the garage. So I just moved my bedroom to the garage so I could play whatever I wanted, however loud I wanted and however often I wanted to. And, and that's a true story. It was funny watching her tell that story because I, I think my jaw dropped just going – that's actually
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> there's that Kylie Aldis makes. There's lots of music in it, uh, like local music. Kylie Aldis makes an appearance in one of the episodes performing. How did you decide what band the characters were going to go and see? Because I mean, you probably I feel like you would have had a pick at the lot. How did you land on Kylie Aldis?
6: Oh, it's so funny. We I had so many great ideas with live bands. At one point we were talking about ending every episode with a live band in the store. That was one idea. Then we ran out of budget. And so we thought, okay, if we can get one opportunity to have a shoot somewhere, let's let's do a band. And literally every band I approached with these great ideas, they couldn't do it. It was a nine AM Friday morning rainy winter's day. Oh, and I literally wow. it literally got down to me asking my husband, <laughs> going, you have to do it. And he's the bass player in Mono Deluxe. I'm like, I'm going, I've, got, I've run out of people, babe. You've got, you're have got, you going to have to do it. He goes, oh, okay. So it's <laughs> boys and they've said, yeah, that would be awesome. Let's just do it. I went, oh, you're saving me. Thank you. Like it, it was literally pulling favours. But then, of course, we're like, I think they'd put out their single Soul Sinister and Kylie's on vocals and so like that. And I just called her. I went, Kylie, you need to do this. She's like, oh, all
1: right then, all right. So I just... <laughs>
6: <laughs> I literally arm-wrestled them into it. And you would think you would have, you know, the pick of the town, but on a 9am on a Friday morning, Stella Angelico was about to have a baby. Uh, Shrimp Witch Girls, they couldn't do it. Something wasn't aligned with their schedule. There were some incredible names on the table, but, yeah, just one by one they just kept getting unavailable. And, oh,
1: now and I feel so privileged that we have Breakfasters live because was- that's a <laughs> –
6: I was
0: going to say we are—we have to get bands here at night, in at eight forty-five a.m. every Friday, and we we know the struggle. <laughs> Can I? Going. Sorry, go on, Lindell. No,
6: not at all. I, I, it's one of those things, isn't it, where you think it all sounds so easy, but I think it would be a lot easier wrangling someone into Triple R into your beautiful studios and and have a broadcast of <laughs> your awesome listeners than mm. it would you know, turn up in a cold, bloody, you know, pub on a Friday morning. And then You're I suppose you going, you know.
2: A season two. What would you, uh, you know? I suppose you've got much more to say and more to more to put into a season two. What, what it, have you have you thought about
6: it? Yeah, there's been a lot of angles actually. There's a couple of conversations that you hear the characters have about various backgrounds. You know, like she she talks to her dad about her siblings. So there's these siblings. There's this kooky mum living up in Mullumbimbi growing medicinal marijuana. She sounds interesting. We might bring her into it. Um, there's also um, this weirdness with Vince that he's got this debt with a record company and he's very bitter. He's kind of curious about why is he so bitter. But I'm really keen for her to sort of settle in Melbourne, you know, build up some relationships with some really nice people in the industry and sort of actually fatten out her. If she's owning a record store and she's got all these great, you know, bands that she's into, you know, we've got to get some more some more musos in there and, and develop this record label she wants to set up as well. So I think that's just a really nice opportunity to just, you know, Get some of these history brought into the into the present, and also maybe fatten up her her knowledge of people in the music industry around her owning a record shop. When That's the home. Yeah,
0: when you're writing about your hometown and particularly about music, the world you work in, you, uh, you open yourself up to people coming up and going, "Oh, you did this wrong," or "Have you thought about doing this?" <laughs> or "You should write this in." Have you had any suggestions or anything you might take on board?
6: But you know, it's funny, I keep saying to my mates and my family, I'm like, you need to be really honest, you need to really give me proper feedback, <laughs> and they're just like, oh, we just love this bit and we just love that bit, but look, yeah, personally, I think there's, there's a couple of funny things, isn't there, where you think, why is a woman moving to Melbourne if she doesn't know anybody? <laughs> to start a record before, when she's trying to meet people. Is it, that was a little bit quick. He was like, oh, yeah, that's a bit weird. So we need, to, we need to gather us some friends. I think that's probably a pretty quick one to redeem ourselves with. But, oh, look, overall, you can nitpick stuff, but um oh, we're just stoked that we've got something over the line. Such, yeah. a, such a joy.
2: So the, there are five 11-minute episodes. Where can people catch it?
6: Yeah, well, we did a smart thing and the last year and a half I've been working at this digital creative agency. So another favour I was able to pull was to build a website. So we've chucked everything onto a website, mintconditiontv.com. And the trailers on there, the links through to Vimeo on demand are on there. Um, There's a really intense page for music, which I dedicated and poured over. Every band that appears in the show gets a little section, gets you to find out what episode they appear in or what their song appears in. That was a a really big one for me to make sure the bands were um, really well represented and well connected to people who were interested in finding out more about the soundtrack. Um, and yeah, stuff about the cast is is on there as well. But yeah, the trailer to go through to Vimeo on demand. There's a click link as soon as you open the, the website mintconditiontv.com.
2: And it's a bit of a time capsule for when uh, you know characters could hang out. <laughs> <laughs> it
6: could well be. It could well yeah. be.
2: Yeah, uh, mintconditiontv.com is where to find it. And we've been talking to co-writer and music producer of Mint Condition, Lindell Wilkinson. Thanks so much.
6: Uh, thanks, legends. Triple
1: ah. Mother's Day is mm-hmm. on Sunday. Happy Mother's Day, if you are a mum, uh, Daniel. It'll be Jesse's first Mother's Day. You, have you got anything huge planned? Well,
2: uh, I've got a brother-in-law who's just refuses, uh, <laughs> and 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 my dad similarly was like. regards to my mother was like, well, she's not my mother. And, uh, and you know, there's conjecture over whether it's a little bit eatable to celebrate your girlfriend on mother's day. (laughs) Um, but, On the other hand, this is Jesse's first Mother's Day. Um, Gabriel can hardly jump in the car and go buy ingredients for a nice breakfast. So I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do. Like, it's my first one. I know I have to do something. You do.
0: You have to. There's no argument here. I don't know what all that other crap you just said was, but you absolutely (laughs) have to do something for the mother of your child, who cannot leave (laughs) his side for one second at the moment.
2: Yeah, okay. So –
1: like your dad is absolutely wrong. Oh, yeah. Not my bloody <laughs> Yes, but she is the mother to your children. So therefore, mm. yeah, you have to do something. Like more so than than the kids. the The kids' role for Mother's Day is to, um, obviously, you know, make breakfast in bed if you if you can. Um, and to make a nice card, a homemade card. Yeah. Saying th- this is what the reasons why I love my mum. Um, and um and just uh, say thanks for thanks for doing all my laundry, thanks for you know, cooking all the time, thanks for all those stereotypical things yeah. that mothers do.
2: Yeah, here's a vacuum cleaner. I've kept the receipt sort of thing.
1: Um, Here's a tip. Don't get your (laughs) mum.
0: My mum wasn't really into um, Mother's Day and we were kids and uh, we used to say, don't get me presents, don't bother. But um, when we did, we always got it wrong. And I distinctly remember getting her uh, washing baskets to put laundry baskets one year and her just looking at us and going, you wonder why I'm not into Mother's Day. So there's a hot tip. Don't get Jessie. Laundry baskets.
2: Yeah. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, makes his daughter. Uh, so my sister, Gemma, has a daughter, Matilda, and uh, her partner, Josh, gets Matilda to keep an ongoing Mother's Day visual diary. So every year oh. there's a new thing to to write a message. And last year um, she drew in what she called a blood coffin, uh, oh, my God. And so her, her mum was in a blood coffin.
3: <laughs> How old's is the
1: child? no further explanation to that?
2: I was like uh, uh, maybe th- two or th- three or the, – the, the ex- the I mean the explanation. The child was
0: three and they imagined themselves something called a blood coffin.
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh, apparently she was going through a, a what they termed a death stage. But I, I don't know. So mummy was in a blood coffin and then i've seen a photo since and it's the, she's also stuck a <laughs> a picture of herself in one of those haunted masks <laughs> like with a black cloak around the
0: like the ski, like the, the the scream masks
2: yeah like a yeah oh a scream yeah a toddler in a scream mask <laughs> with her finger sitting you know delectably to her lips like she's <laughs> Happy mummies in a blood coffin. So that's a good tradition to have started.
0: Wow. So no blood coffins or laundry baskets. I think that we could uh, Mm. rule them off the list.
3: God.
2: Because also at the start of the show, at 6 a.m., you saw saw Jesse wandered into the camera shot.
1: Oh. Yes. yes. With Gabe. Uh, (laughs) With Gabe. (laughs) And I'm in. Yeah, it was very early in the morning. You're in a dark room because you like to keep the lights off so there's no distractions. So there's just the light of the computer in front of you making your face white. And then then all of a sudden in the background there's just an eerie figure just standing there. And it's just a silhouette. And it's for a brief moment I thought your place was haunted. Like I thought... There's the lady in the back of the room, like just. The lady with the baby. You
2: know. Handed me a newborn, like on a full moon. Yes. Like an an offering. This is yours. (laughs) Take him.
0: (laughs) I'm going back to my blood (laughs) coffin.
3: Save my baby! <laughs> Happy
1: Mother's Day! Gee, well, uh, that took a turn, didn't it? Did <laughs> yeah? Uh, I don't
2: know what to get. I, I don't. Do I get you know, get my hands on some face masks? I mean, what do you do for Mother's Day in a pandemic?
0: Should, I think you should do something with Gabe, like, um, Anne, Getty style, like dress him up, <laughs> <laughs> dress dress him up uh in little outfits like a bee or a flower pot, put him in a flower pot and put some plants on his head. Um you could uh put him in a pile of teddy bears. Uh <laughs> you, so many things you could dress him up as. You could dress him up as a whole water bottle. I don't know and then take some photos for her. <laughs> yeah.
1: Remember. Put him in a blood coffin and
0: take him <laughs> Little Vampire.
1: Uh, I think I think the point is that um yeah, you you take Gabe away for a, a little adventure and let Jessie have a big sleep in. Oh and, yeah, um, that's a good yeah, thing. Ta- yeah, let it have. It's Mother's Day, but give her a day off from being a mum.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, it, it's it, there's, breakfast there's, in
1: bed, definitely.
2: I mean, but, come on, is that really? People enjoy sitting at a
0: table, don't no, they? All I ever want is breakfast in bed, and no one ever brings it to me. I want to eat yeah. in bed. Yeah.
1: Get it. You get one of those. Have you got one of those stable?
2: Stable table. To, yeah. Maybe, maybe one I'll, of those, Mum. Maybe one I'll one. feed her toast while dust busting around her just to cut out the middle man. I mean, it's, it's messy. It's
1: no, you get, we'll get a, um, put a cloth down. I don't know. All right.
2: Okay. <laughs> it's evidently more romantic than I thought. But uh, make sure,
1: um, maybe bring, um, like, a glass of champagne with breakfast as well. Oh, yeah. And, like, you know, think you know, toast is easy. Toast and champagne. Yeah. And you can do that. You can have toast in one hand and champagne in the other. Mm-hmm. There's a
2: text that says, my mum loves a packet of twisties. Imagine being that easy to please.
1: Oh, my God. I think your mum wants a bit more than a packet of twisties. <laughs> <right>? That's.
3: <laughs> no, she loves it. She loves the twisties. <laughs> That's what I get my it's, mum it's a tradition. Say, I started it when yeah.
1: I was two. She really, really loves it. Just cheese. Sometimes
6: chicken, but just cheese. He loves it.
0: Triple R. Ah. You've been listening to a podcast of the best fits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.